minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Wool This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Ah, we're here, we're here, here. Four o'clock this morning, I thought maybe I was not going to be here. You know those days when you're vomiting and you've got diarrhoea? I'm sure you don't know anything about it, but we're here. It's an important day. We'll see what happens. If somehow during the course of the program I disappear, you know what's happening. It'll be the Technicolor yawn, hopefully in the toilet bowl, not on the equipment. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's right. Do what Anarchy is all about. Anarchist Society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power that's direct democracy. It's a society where wolf is held in common and used for the common good. So what's an anarchist? A bomb-throwing maniac? Or is an anarchist a human being who is doing their best to create an egalitarian community where each and, each, each and every one of us can develop ourselves to the fullest potential, where the resources are held in common, and power is devolved into the hands of the people through a direct democratic process. And why? Anarchos means without rulers. Not without rules. Anarchists have a lot of rules if you've ever been involved in an anarchist organisation, but they're democratically, you know, we come to those those rules. Society, you know, devolve power, share wealth, break the backbone, of those who exercise power. People exercise power because of inequalities in power and wealth. It's simple. You don't need a PhD, doctorate of sewerage. You don't need to go to university. You don't need to be literate. It's a simple concept of people enjoying the fruits of the commonwealth and devolving power so they can exercise power and create institutions and make decisions which benefit them and the community they live and work in. Very simple. Now, today, just in case, you're in the city of Melbourne and it's the 5th of September, Wednesday the 5th of September, and you're at a loose end, well, today I will be conducting a funeral. So I'm giving you an invitation to the funeral of the age. That's the newspaper, the age, not our age. 1854 to 2018. We gather 
to celebrate the life and death of independent journalism in Victoria and Australia, obviously. Join us at midday, Wednesday the 5th of September, on the forecourt of the Age Building at the corner of Collins and Spencer Street in Melbourne. The Age was born a few weeks before the 1854 Eureka Rebellion. The Age's reputation as an independent voice was enhanced when they supported the demands of the Eureka rebels in its pages in 1854. 164 years later, we mourn the Age's passing. We mourn the passing of independent journalism. If you look at the age, you look at their motto, it's always independent. It's not going to be. Recent federal government legislation, supported by those funny people on the Senate crossbenches, has allowed Channel 9, a doyen of the corporate-owned media, to swallow Fairfax Media, the age's current owner. We mourn this tragedy. We'll start, we'll start milling on the forecourt around 11.30, the funeral service proper starts at midday. We do have we do have a, a little coffin there for a copy of the age. Please bring flowers. Not many people live to 164 years. Please bring food and drinks to share with the other mourners at the wake on the forecourt. Of course we're going to have a bloody wake after the funeral. A little bit of street theatre. A little bit street theatre. We use our bodies and a little bit of creativity to highlight the lunacy of the current media ownership laws, which will ensure that there will only be two, possibly three large corporations which dominate every aspect of the media in this country, whether it's print, electronic, World Wide Web, and the list goes on and on. So come and join us. Have a bit of fun while you mourn, obviously. Make sure you bring some mascara so you can paint some tears on your face. Join us midday, Wednesday the 5th of September, at the forecourt of the Age Building, corner of Collins and Spencer Street, Melbourne. Okay, let's move on. I'm very interested in the concept, and obviously you are, as, you know, as people who support the devolution of power, in the concept of power, wealth, and religion. And it's uh, fascinating to follow human history. And see how human beings after the, uh, well, even before the French Revolution, began to loosen the ties between religion and state power. And it's quite disconcerting to see in the 21st century that we are seeing religious-based movements of all persuasions, whether Hindu nationalists in India, Muslim fundamentalists in parts of the Middle East and Indonesia, Christian fundamentalists in Australia, trying to capture state power to usher in a new dark age. A new dark age where independent thinking is not allowed. A new dark age which saw Western civilization held back for centuries. And around the world we are seeing this, these religious organisations, religious or faith-based organisations, turning their attention to the state apparatus, claiming there is no division between faith and state power. 
obviously there's a division between faith and state power. And we've seen examples over the last few decades of what happens. <coughs> what happens when religious or faith-based organisations capture state power and use state power to impose their pathetic vision on the rest of us. So beware. If you think it's a disease that you only find in India or the Middle East or in countries which have adopted Sharia law, think again. We are seeing the Liberal Party in this country, which is the current government, not only being white-handed by religious fundamentalists, but actually being taken over so they can pre-select candidates who, when in Parliament, will be able to put up their hand to rescind legislation which has improved the human condition. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, in this program, we try to do a little bit of analysis, mainly local, but if there's a, you know, we do a little bit of overseas analysis... We look at uh, what's happening on the uh, world today and it's interesting to see that um, Mr Scott Morrison, our beloved new Prime Minister, Pentecostalist gentleman, no, I don't think he's Pentecostalist, I forget, born again, I don't know what they call themselves. I'd like to be born again as a, what, fly? No, they're not very happy flies, are they? Maybe a butterfly. One day of glory and then you're dead. All right, so let's get back to uh, News Corporation. Now, it's interesting, poor old Mr Morrison hasn't been in Parliament for, uh, what, 12 days as Prime Minister? He's been in Parliament since 2008, but as Prime Minister he's been there, what, 12 days, 30 days? And already, News Corporation, Murdoch's little garbage heaps around Australia have decided that he's not the man, that Dutton should have been the man, and that they're already beginning to destabilise the Liberal Party. And it's interesting to see women in the Liberal Party getting up and say, look, enough is enough, boys. We're sick of being bullied and pushed around. You know, we've got a contribution to make. We believe it, you know, a Liberal alternative. But why do you treat us like second-class citizens in our own political party? So keep your eye out on News Corporation, all its little garbage heaps around the country. Don't buy the stuff, but if you see it in a coffee shop somewhere, have a glance at it, read it, and you'll see as the Dutton camp only needs to change the minds of three people. Pushes and shoves, pushes and shoves, to destabilise Morrison to such an extent that he will be removed as Prime Minister before the next federal election. They don't care. They don't care whether they govern Australia or not. What they're interested in is creating a super ultra-conservative reactionary political party that would be an embarrassment to the dinosaur age. That's what they want. They don't care if they lose the next election. They know they're going to lose the next election. Interestingly, I've noticed that Julie Bishop is positioning herself in a corner 
that when the government gets rolled to the next federal election that she may be able to put up her hand and actually mobilise the women in the Liberal Party and the more liberal-minded members of the Liberal Party into supporting her as opposition leader before Mr Dutton. Why it's important? Because those that hold the levers of power make legislation which directly influences you. For example, Mr Morrison, seen the right in the wall, says today, ah, we're not going to extend the pension age to 70. We're going to leave it at 67. Mr Morrison, who voted 26 times about a royal, against the Royal Commission into the banking sector, now says, oh, you know, we'll have a look at the recommendations made by the Banking Royal Commission. So obviously, this little story, this little leadership struggle for the heart and mind and assets, and don't forget the A word, assets of the Liberal Party continues to be played out in the public arena. And hopefully at the next state, at next federal election, the um, the electorate will give Dutton and his ilk their marching orders. This to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscarum, hosting today's program. Now, look, I'm sick of you bleeding hearts. You got to got to give poor old Peter Dutton a bit of slack. You know, he was the minister. For home security, was it home affairs security, and the minister for immigration, and now God, God only knows. My apologies to the deities for using their name in vain. Mister Morrison has removed the immigration portfolio from him, and hey presto! As soon as the immigration portfolio was removed, all these little information began to trickle, trickle into the public domain about decisions made by Mister Dutton regarding looking after the interests of French au pairs. What's wrong with that? This is the man who wants to look after the interests of, you know, South African white farmers. What did you expect? What do you expect? In the very same moment, we hear more and more harrowing tales of the distress suffered by people, the Manus, and more importantly, children of Nauru, who've been there for five years. We've got no future, no hope who are displaying behaviour that is clearly pathological, that is clearly related to their living circumstances. Now, if Mr Dutton did what his department is doing on his instructions and the Liberal National Party's instruction and to a lesser degree to the Labour Party's instruction to children in Australia they would be facing serious criminal charges of child abuse which would land them in prison. But because they've offshored, in inverted commas, their refugee problem, in inverted commas, it seems they can do whatever they like. In the name of the Australian people, in the name of the Australian people, to defenceless children and refugees whose only crime was seeking asylum in this country. And the situation is so ridiculous that although the New Zealand government has offered to take 150 of these refugees, 
the Liberal National Party government, refuses to let their hostages go. And these people are hostages. They are government hostages. They are being held hostage in our name. Collective punishment for having the audacity to seek asylum in this country, which under no legislation is illegal. As I said before, you treat your children in the manner that Mr Dutton's department, under current legislation, treats children on Nauru, you would, one, have those children taken away as an interim protection measure, and two, you would be facing serious criminal charges which would most likely end in three to four years in jail. Think about it. But because it's over there... We think it's okay. It's all right. We need to use these people as an example, you know, an example. I'm sure anybody who's seen what's happened over the last five years who's stupid enough to try to come to Australia for asylum will know that, you know, it's time that we put a, a full stop to this saga, brought the refugees from Manus Island and um, Nauru back to Australia and sorted out the problem. As I've said in previous program, we could put up each family, each individual, in the penthouse, in a six-star hotel, all meals included, for less than the price we pay private corporations to torture these people on our behalf. So we are all collectively guilty, including people like myself. We are all collectively guilty because we are, we are happy to tolerate this. And there is a long history of this type of behaviour in the Australian community. It was the deportation of the Canucks at the beginning of the 20th century, the, dismal, the, the terrible way Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were treated in this country, the way that even Chinese migrants have been treated in Australia in 2018, where they're seen as a fifth column for the Chinese Communist Party. And the list goes on and on. But again, Mr Morrison knows he only has one hope, one hope of of being re-elected. He's waiting for his tamper. He is waiting for Howard's tamper. Maybe he's going to get he's going to hire a boat full of refugees to come around. Yeah, he's waiting. They're waiting for their moment, and in the interim, they generate fear, 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 fear. To such an extent that in Victoria, after a few brawls, and let's not forget, there is a history of young men brawling, not just in Victoria but the rest of the country over generations, you know, that they're now going to introduce rubber bullets, rubber bullets, smoke grenades, noise bombs. Love it. I love it. And guess who that will be turned against? 
Now, it won't be against Brawley News because that comes and goes. That's a perennial issue. Just wait till New Year's celebrations, you know, around the country. It's not just about Brawley News. It's about turning this armament on protesters, on people like you and me who are willing to take the next step and take action to right the wrongs of Nauru and Manus Island and many other issues that we are passionate about in this country. So don't think it's about brawling news. It's about you. It's about all you people who attend demonstrations, all you people who are involved in activities. It's about you. It's about the militarisation of the police in order to put down civil disturbance, which is, in most cases, a direct response to intolerable social situations. So get used to it. Get used to it. Get used to see them in their little protective gear and go, whoom, whoom, whoom. All those of us who are old enough will remember baton charge bracks when they fr- willy-nilly use batons to disperse protesters. Willy-nilly, in the year 2000, I think it was, I was part of that, willy-nilly, and it cost them millions of dollars in compensation. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, so don't get sidetracked to think it's about brawling youth. This is not about brawling youth. This is about maintaining control in an era where the state is being challenged on many fronts. That's what this is about. And to see Mr Morrison talk about Sudanese youth once again, once again, and then, because some, you know, some moron in the CFMEU puts up a tweet with his kids, which is something you never do, you know. If you've been an activist, you never know you involve your kids. I mean, they're below the age of consent. They'll make up their own minds as they grow up. And then to think that is a reason to deregister the, the CFMEU, CFMMEU, you've got to be joking. So you can see where they're going. They need to create fear. They need to create fear about brawling youth, social dislocation, while they put in policies which promote violence in the streets. Then they've got the ready-made armaments to keep everybody happy when they go in there, you know, using their uh, newfangled toys to restore order among, you know, gangs of brawling youths. And then they can use the same techniques for you. That's right. All those people listen to the Anarchist World this week. And if you think I'm joking, talk to me in 12 months' time. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you want further information, you can uh, leave a message on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the uh, Pipsy website, pipsy.net, and download an application form to 
to join public interest before corporate interest. One of the fastest growing political movements in this country. Hopefully we register as a political party by middle of next year, maybe the end of next year. So, And also, obviously, we're involved in direct action, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So come and join us. You know why we're, you know why we're dangerous? Because we're peaceful. We're totally peaceful. The state, you know, can escalate its response to brawling news. It can escalate its response to violence. I mean, these people live for a violent confrontation. It's their bread and butter. It's what ensures that they continue to get funding for what they're doing. But what they can't tolerate is ordinary people like you and me standing our ground, refusing to move, highlighting issues, organising both in the direct action space and the political space. That's what they can't stand because they don't have those pictures. The only pictures that are available of them using their monopoly on the use of force, their legislative monopoly on the use of force, you know, to disperse people like us. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, you and I know that I like a bit of a bit of a laugh because, you know, politics is a serious business, but unfortunately there are too many serious people who don't have a sense of humour. Now, Mr Matthew Guy. Now, I'd like to take up the electoral fight to Mr Matthew Guy. That's my dream. Mr Matthew Guy, the leader of the Liberal Party opposition, lobster man, the Ventor King, you name it. He's loved in his electorate. At the, 14, the 2014 uh, state election, his electorate is Bulleen, which takes in some very nice suburbs. I go there on a Thursday. Bulleen, Lower Templestone, Templestone and Doncaster. Very, very nice suburbs. But the character of Bulleen has changed in the, since 2014. And although Mr Guy from the Liberal Party, the current Liberal Party leader, the Premier in waiting for the Liberal Party, received 60.6% of the votes on a two-party preferred scale, he had a drop of 4.5% in his numbers. Because people living in Bulleen, Templestone Lower, Templestone and Doncaster are a quite interesting multicultural mix. A very interesting multicultural mix. And although people think I've lost my marbles completely... I do believe that Mr Guy, with a little bit of a, uh, how shall I put it, an interesting uh, campaign, could be sweating on Saturday the 24th of November as the votes are posted up in his electorate. Because a lot of the terminology Mr Guy has been using terminology which uh, relies uh, 
on collective punishment of communities because of the behaviour of small minorities in that community resonates with the immigrant populations which have made their home in Templestowe, Lower Templestowe, Doncaster and Borleen. They resonate in a negative sense because they've all been subjected to the same type of stereotyping in the past. Whether it's the elderly Italians which make a sizable portion of bullying or Chinese voters, either born overseas or here, who are now able to vote in the election, who now live in Doncaster, Templestone, Lower and Templestone, I mean, they may support, well, they do support Mr Guy's liberal economic credentials, but in terms of him using race and fear and guilt by association as legitimate political tools is causing a little bit of resentment among parts of those communities. So if you are on the electoral roll and you live in Bulleen, Templestowe Lower, Templestowe or Doncaster, and you're interested in giving Mr Guy a little bit of a a little bit of a, how shall I put it, a little bit of a run for his money, well, give me a ring. I'm looking for me people to nominate me to stand as a candidate, independent candidate uh, at the state election. So give me a ring now. Leave a message on 0439 395 489. Know somebody who lives in that area who's got a bit of a radical bent? Give them a ring. See if they're interested in nominating me. 0439 395 489. I can assure you I'll give the man a run for his money. Okay, let's move on. Yes, the state election is upon us on the 24th of November. Now, Peter Norman Week. Who was Peter Norman? Why is he so important? Why am I wasting countless hours as convener of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee? Well, on the 16th of October, 1968, almost 50 years ago, Peter Norman stood on the dais after the 200 metres race in Mexico City in the Olympics and he had won the silver medal. He had split... Mr Tommy Smith, an Afro-American who had won the gold medal, and Mr John Carlos, an Afro-American who won the bronze medal. He came in between them. Brilliant race. And almost 50 years to the day, Peter Norman's 200-metre record, I think it's about 20.1 seconds, could be a bit more, has never, never, never been broken by an Australian athlete. Now, if that's all Peter Norman was known for, he would have been written out of the pages of Olympic history because many people win medals and they disappear and many people hold records 
and they disappear from the public face. Now, Peter Norman did something which in 1968 was unforgivable in Australian Olympic circles, among the Australian media, and to a significant degree among many Australians. He participated in the campaign which Afro-American athletes had organised to highlight the inequalities that occurred in the US of A in 1968. And those of you who are old enough will remember all those civil rights riots when cities burnt to the ground. And Peter Norman, a young man, a young man from Australia, was asked by these men, Mr Smith and Mr Carlos, do you believe in human rights? Do you believe in God? Now Mr Norman, who was, you know, came from a religious family, faith-based family, said yes to both questions. And then he did something that each and every one of us who finds ourselves in that situation on every day of our lives don't do. On this huge public stage, pictures around the world, he put on the badge from their Organisation for Universal Human Rights and he said to them, I will stand with you. I will stand with you. Fifty years later, that example, that example is what each and every one of us needs to do in our lives when we see people being humiliated and discriminated because of their religious affiliations, their race, their sexual orientation, their gender. Because we all need to be Peter Norman. We all need to stand up and say, I will stand with you to brush aside the hate mongers, the hate peddlers, who somehow think that hatred based on racial, religious, gender, sexual orientation uh, parameters is 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 not only acceptable but natural. So Peter Norman Week this year marks the 50th anniversary of that historic moment when an Australian stood up and paid a significant price for standing up on that dais and saying, I will stand for you, with you. He was not sent to the Munich, Munich Olympics by the 1972 Olympics Committee, the first time in Australian history since 1896 that an Australian had not been sent to one of the uh, sprint events in an Olympic. And the hatred was so much that was directed against him even when the 2000 Olympics was held in Sydney, that's 32 years later, he did not receive an invitation to attend as a guest while every other Tom, Dick and Harry got an invitation. 
and when the Afro-American team found, the athletics team found that he had not been invited, they invited him to Sydney as their personal guest and he stayed in the Olympic Village as their personal guest. Now, although there was an apology to Peter Norman and his family, now Peter Norman, I think, died in 2007 or 2008, I can't remember exactly which year, and Mr Smith and Mr Carlos felt so strongly about what he had done. They came to Melbourne because he was born in Melbourne, raised in Melbourne, taught in Melbourne, died in Melbourne. They came to Melbourne to speak at his funeral and act as pallbearers. And the representative from the US Track and Field Association, which had come to the funeral on the 9th of October 2008, I think it was 2008, 9th of October, told the mourners that they had declared the 9th of October internationally, not just in Australia, the day of Peter Norman's funeral, would be Peter Norman Day, a day reserved for those people who support the struggle for universal human rights. So the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee was set up about 18 months, 18 months to two years ago. Uh, all his immediate families are patrons of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee and we have a number of events which will occur during Peter Norman Week. And Peter Norman Week stretches from the 9th of October to the 16th of October. And hopefully in a week or so we'll have the whole list up for you to look at. But the days you should keep in mind is the 9th of October, Tuesday the 9th of October, Peter Norman Day, we meet outside the Melbourne Town Hall to mark the day. Open microphone. On Thursday the 11th of October at 7pm, the Coburg Library in Melbourne will be holding a public meeting. I will stand with you. On the 13th of October, we haven't finalised the times yet, but the Victorian Athletics Association will be holding a Peter Norman Classic 200 metres run. And there are plans afoot for little athletics teams around the country to learn about Peter Norman and what he did. Not just as an athlete, but as a human being. And the big day, Tuesday the 16th of October, from 10am to 4pm, we'll be holding the Peter Norman Human Rights Summit, I will stand with you. To each and every one of us, every one of our listeners are invited to free event, Unitarian Church. So it's not about honouring Peter Norman. It's not about honouring his memory. But it's about continuing the legacy The statue that was created in the United States, you've got, a, you've got Mr Carlos, you've got Mr Smith, and where Peter Norman was, you've got a blank. No Peter Norman. And Peter Norman wanted it that way. Because what he was trying to say was that each and every one of us can be a Peter Norman. Norman for 
the day. Now, next week I should have a full program, and next week the full program should be up on the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee web page, a Facebook page. So take the week off, 9th to the 16th of October, get involved in all the Peter Norman events. And remember, you too can be Peter Norman. Can be in a supermarket, can be on the street, can be at your school. You too can be, be Peter Norman. I will stand with you. Okay, let's move on. Now, I'm sure most of you know very little about Yemen. Little country. Used to be a British colony. Uh, big civil war split into North and South Yemen after the civil war in 62, I think, and then it uh, rejoined as one country. Now, there's been another civil war in Yemen and to a significant degree it's been a proxy war between Iranian-backed forces and Saudi Arabia-United States-backed forces. And we've seen the United Nations Human Rights Commission, there's that horrible word again, human rights. It seems to be a terrible word, you know. People in Maru, Manus Island, human rights. Peter Norman, human rights. Yemen, human rights. People being guilty of, by, by um, association, human rights. Seems that word comes over and over and over again. Do we believe in universal human rights or do we believe in religious rights or state-based rights? But getting back to Yemen, it seems, well, that this war has been particularly nasty particularly nasty, especially when you use aircraft, the latest sophisticated aircraft. Don't just don't forget that Saudi Arabia just signed a $100 billion armaments deal with the United States of America. And the first visit that I think Mr uh, Groper, President of the United States, made overseas was to Saudi Arabia to uh, you know, announce that $100 billion armaments deal. And obviously they're using them effectively in Yemen, strafing villages, bombing children, you know, the usual stuff that we saw in Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam. And Saudi Arabia, with, with its uh, friends in the United Arab Emirates, and you know about the United Arab Emirates, you all are flying in and out of Dubai. Well, it ain't the pleasant place you think it is. One million Dubai residents under a feudal monarchy, nine million guest workers. But we've got a problem. Well, I haven't got a problem. The Australian government has a problem. A former high-ranking general, Mr Hindmarsh, Michael Hindmarsh, went to work as the head of the Presidential Guard at the United Arab Emirates in around 2011. Now, don't forget that in Australia we have a Foreign Fighters Act. So if you want to go and help the Kurds, when you come back you can be prosecuted and jailed for up to 10 years. It looks like Mr Hindmarsh, whose presidential guard are some of the elite shock troops that have been used by the Saudi Arabian coalition 
in Yemen, which have been accused of war crimes by the United Nations Human Rights Commission. It seems that he's had a tick of approval from the National Cabinet Security Committee. And because he's working on behalf of the Australian government in the United Arab Emirates and now involved in the fighting in Yemen, it seems that the National Security Cabinet Committee has got a problem, a big problem. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the National Security Cabinet Committee and guess do you think is in charge of the National Security Cabinet Committee in Australia? Mr Dutton is the Minister for Home Affairs. And guess what? The National Security Committee, Cabinet Committee, doesn't report to no one. It doesn't report back to Cabinet. And it's doubtful whether he'll be reporting back to the Prime Minister. Mr Morrison. They've got a problem. Because we've signed the Hague Convention, which means that Australian nationals who are accused of war crimes overseas need to be arrested and sent to the Hague in Holland to be tried. So it's interesting, isn't it, how you can get an exemption or they're not part of the Australian military. And there are many, I understand, Many troops, well, some people be unkind and call them mercenaries. I like to call them soldiers of fortune. Australians in this theatre of war in Yemen who have been excused by the National Security Cabinet Committee from being prosecuted under the Foreign Fighters Act. Think about it. Extraordinary. We supposedly live in a democratic society and here we have a committee which is responsible to no one giving people the tick of approval to get involved in foreign battles on the Australian government's behalf. It's a little bit like, you know, you outsource the issue. You outsource the issue. Well, think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I understand that I, personally, and Mr Owen Bennett of the Unemployed Workers' Union, will be speaking at appearing at a forum at the Frankston Library, third floor, Frankston Library in Frankston. And obviously the, the forum is about public housing and Centrelink and how to resist Centrelink's increasingly onerous demands on people receiving the new start allowance. It's workshops and discussions. So it starts at 10am. I understand it will go to 4pm. I'm the first speaker. I'll be there for about two hours uh, and I'll be there as convener of the public interest before corporate interests. And I'll be talking about public housing now or never. And we'll be highlighting the campaign that public interest before corporate interests 
is promoting to have a 10-day vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House from Wednesday the 14th of November to Saturday the 24th of November to make public housing a significant issue in the Victorian election. Now at midday on Wednesday the 19th of September, which is the last parliamentary sitting day in Victoria before Parliament rises for the election campaign and the election will be held on the 24th of November, that we will be unfurling our new five-metre banner which promotes public housing. More importantly, it promotes the idea that any money which is raised through the imposition of stamp duty, which is a tax which is paid on people purchasing houses, is quarantined for public housing. $6 billion last year. And if you do that, you could house everybody on the waiting list, every 84,000 of them, within a year through spot purchasing programs. Within a year. And if you want to do building programs, it's another matter. Within a year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable how simple it is. You could house 15% of Victorians, which would be, ooh, maybe 1.5 million, in public housing by 2026. If you just quarantine stamp duty revenue for public housing. I mean, I hear people saying, we've got another 20 billion for another road, another 30 billion to do this, and another 100 billion to do this railway, horseshoe railway line. I'm going, what? What? Huh? Huh? You know, public housing is essential to security. And, you know, in an era when wages don't go up, rents continue to be artificially elevated because there's no public housing sector to speak of, what do you expect? Now, people get all befuffled about the economy. The economy isn't a beast that's got its own heart and soul and brain. The economy is the interaction between members of the community in terms of meeting their everyday needs. That's the economy. And there's three things. There's three types of economic principles. There's the private economy, which is run on capitalist lines. You've got a public economy, which you know, which uh, is run by the state. Then you've got cooperatives and collectives, which fall in the middle. In Victoria and in Australia... Over the last 40 years during the deregulation... Yes, I'm going to use the four words again. Program's nearly finished, but I'm going to get them in. During the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatisation era, right? we've seen the private sector grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Whether it's the financial sector, essential services sector, the provision of social security benefits to the community childcare, nursing homes for the elderly, and the list goes on and on. Everything has been privatised, including the airports and many ports across the country, and roads, obviously. Privatised, 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 privatised. It could be a rap singer, couldn't I? Privatised, privatised. Maybe maybe we've got a rap singer out there. Let's do a privatisation bloody single. Because, see, on the 10 days, we want people to come in be a little bit creative on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. No, you can't piss on the steps. Bring your musical instruments. 
So 90% of our economy today is a private economy. 0.01% would be cooperatives and collectives and maybe 10%, maybe, maybe even less than 10% would be state-run enterprises. So what do you expect when you've got no competition? You want an economy that buzzes along and meets human needs in real time. You need a strong private sector, a strong collectives and cooperative sector and a strong public sector. The three sectors compete against each other. It's a simple concept. There's nothing magic about the economy. It's just the human interaction where we create a system via which we attempt to satisfy our needs as human beings. And obviously sometimes it gets a little bit corrupted where people get have billions and other people sleep in the street. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's right, it's podcast, 3cr.org.au. If you are in the city of Melbourne, don't forget the funeral at the Age Building Forecourt, midday Wednesday the 5th of September. Come and join us, have a bit of fun. Yes, have a good wake. Uh, you can download the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest application form, PIPSI application form, pipsi.net. Have a look at my two Facebook pages. I didn't know I had to. I've been having them for years. I've been just been told. Joseph Toscano and Toscano for the Public. Two Facebook pages. Don't know why, but that's the way it is with these technical people. Joseph Toscano and Toscano for the Public. That number again, 0439 395 489. Next week, we'll give you more information about Peter Norman Week, 9th of October to the 16th of October. And also I'll give you some information about the Eureka, Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, which will be held in Ballarat on the 3rd of December. So we are moving. There's lots of things happening. Don't tell me there's nothing to go to. And if you can't make it, send $1 stamps so we can keep the revolution, well, not the revolution, the reformist bandwagon going. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World This Week on your local community radio station. My name's Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. You can write to me. Yes, I do answer letters once a week. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Yes, I do answer emails once a week. You've got to be fair. You've got to be equal to everybody. Uh, You can go to the Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public or Joseph Toscano. Don't forget... The dinners tonight, the regular dinners in Carlton, North Carlton North, 392, Raftown Street, Carlton North, 6 to 9pm every Wednesday night. Find yourself in Melbourne, come along, say hello, have something to eat, groan, organise, you know, do what you've got to do in order to uh, ensure that the interests of the many, that's the public, is put before the interests of the few. And remember, if you want to improve people's lives, you want to devolve power, you are, I'm afraid to tell you, an anarchist. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.